Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. We're going to beat their ass in recruiting. Time now for... We're going to beat their ass every time they see us. You understand that? Yes, sir. Overreaction Monday! Roll that one, fuck you! Yeah! Yeah! And here's Pat! All right, welcome to the Overreaction Monday pod. The Ed Orgeron is our benevolent ruler pod. The Row the Boat pod. The Bama in Crisis pod. Perhaps most importantly, the No Dan Wetzel, No Pete Famel pod. For once, my picks go 500 and everybody gets scared and runs away. Thamel says he has to get to flight. Wetzel may be in the Tuscaloosa jail. We don't know. But we've got an upgrade because Nick Bromberg is joining us. And we're going to discuss a huge weekend in college football. A lot happened and a lot to get to. Nick, welcome to the show. Thank you for at least being responsible and joining us. Hey, thank you for having me, and I hope I get applause here. Otherwise, I'll have to go to another podcast and to find applause. <laughs> that can be done. All right, good. Please, please clap for me. What's the what is the over under here on uh, on bush lights for Dan yesterday in his tent in Tuscaloosa? Yeah, that, for the for our loyal listeners, you, you recall certainly Dan Wetzel was at the LSU Alabama game, but not in a working capacity, in a drinking capacity, buddy bachelor party. It was like six guys from Boston who grew up together. We stopped by the tent. Things were pretty toasty at by noon Saturday for them when uh, we we parted ways to go into the game. I, I think the over the, he had the cooler the the, the two hundred and twenty three pack cooler that he was given. They did not have two hundred twenty three beers in it, but whatever number they had, they had a lot less by the time we got there. So they were getting after it pretty good in true jerk wetzel fashion bring me a bush na to drink bush no alcohol i did drink it it was like the worst beverage you've, i've ever had because like well, what's the point i mean first of all all bush is terrible but secondly the bush no alcohol is like it's like the worst thing ever so it was a good smart ass wetzel move I am wearing my Bush Light hat in honor of Dan today. And hopefully it is not in memoriam of Dan because we would like to see him <laughs> back on the podcast Yeah, <laughs> this yeah. week. 
We did get a text message from him Sunday morning, so we do. He is alive. We don't know whether he's incarcerated or not, but he is alive. So we'll see if he rallies for the midweek pod. If we get a collect call from the Tuscaloosa jail, we know exactly who it is. <laughs> yes, we do. Absolutely. It was it, like Wetzel's guys were good guys. They were a lot of fun. I don't know why they hang around with him because, uh, but they were uh, they were a good crew and uh, they were definitely having a good time. And the tailgate scene there was just it was ridiculous. I mean, I've been to a lot of football games that are big, you know, big events, and there's tens of thousands of people more around there that can go into the stadium. I've never seen this many people at a football game. I mean, just in the surrounding area. How did the LSU fans travel? Was it like 90-10 Bama, or was there a lot of purple and gold? There was a lot of purple and gold outside the stadium, or a fair amount inside. Uh Uh-uh. They did not get in. Bama fans did not give up their tickets. Yeah, it was, excuse me, a very small... Uh, pocket of of purple and gold so uh the the most of the lsu fans that were in town ended up watching the game from outside the stadium because i saw i think about an hour before kickoff that the lowest get-in price for the game was still three hundred dollars no i believe it it was it was a very aggressive ticket that's for sure uh i don't think many people sold and if they did they got a lot of money for it a lot of money the game itself wow uh, and we would love to get Pete's uh, input on this. But Pete, who was actually sitting next to me to record the podcast, suddenly realized after many technical snafus, most of which he caused, by the way, because it was his idea to do this sitting next to each other. We didn't have to do it this way, but Pete wanted to do it sitting next to each other. But anyway, after many technical snafus, realized that his flight was leaving in like an hour and 15 minutes and had to abandon the pod and dash to the airport. So he gets kudos for that. But... Game itself, which obviously, Nick, you watched. Sully, I'm, our producer, I'm sure you watched uh, as much of it as possible. Unbelievable performance by LSU. Incredible. They were everything they had been all season. Explosive, efficient, big plays. Joe Burrow probably won the Heisman or at least put a hammerlock on it. Something would have to go pretty badly wrong, I think, in the coming weeks for him not to win it. Ed Orgeron probably won coach of the year or at least gave himself a leg up on that. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, who had been overshadowed by Burrow and the receiving core, was a beast. Kept running through tackles, kept dragging people for first downs, scored running, scored receiving. Just a great performance by LSU. And I got to say, and I think Pete certainly would have echoed this, we didn't think that highly of Ed Orgeron when he was hired at LSU. We thought it was a joke. We thought he'd be overmatched, and he just went in and kicked Nick Saban's ass. So, and he was he was rather proud of that afterwards. He was wild after the game. Nick, your thoughts uh, on what you saw? You know, this was the vindication for Ed Orgeron. This was the vindication for the way that LSU has restructured the offense heading to 2019. And I think you have to give Ed Orgeron credit not only for what he did in hiring Joe Brady and moving LSU to this system, but especially in the shadow of the epic Matt Canada disaster and how that was just a train wreck all throughout that season, moves on. He wants an offense that's more familiar to him, realizes, hey, we're not on the cutting edge. You've got Joe Burrow for a second season. This is what happens. I agree. I think Joe Burrow, Jalen Hurts would have lost the Heisman. We would have basically already given it Joe Burrow had Iowa State completed that comeback in Norman late Saturday night. It's Burrow, Jalen, and I don't know who's number three at this point with Chase Young suspended and Tua missing the game for the ankle. I mean, this is Joe Burrow's Heisman to lose. That was his Heisman moment, the game we're going to see at the Heisman ceremony in December. 
Yeah, I agree with you across the board, really. Like if Chase Young gets back this next game and just goes back to wrecking everybody and they go undefeated, maybe there's an argument there. But I don't know, man. I think that Joe Burrow is miles ahead of of everyone at this point. And, you know, this is a guy, he's a heck of a story himself. You know, beaten out for the job at Ohio State, goes into LSU. Nobody thinks that much about him. Last year, he was a good quarterback in a bad system. This year, he's a great quarterback in a great system, and he may be the number one pick in the NFL draft. He might have moved himself up there uh, in that in that instance uh, Saturday as well. So, great performance by him, and it was interesting. Saban, I was at their press conference on Monday, was very worried about Burrow's wheels, said he's really he's a good athlete, he's very mobile, and he hurt him badly running the ball, including a, a zone read pull for Keith first down that, that basically led to the touchdown that iced the game. So hats off to, uh, to Burrow hats off to, uh, to all of the LSU Tigers, <laughs> the, the bootleg video that came out of the LSU locker room after the game. <laughs> oh my, that's why you don't want your players with cell phones in the locker room because that's where the coaches talk their crap, right? They never mm-hmm. do it to the to, to public, never do it to the media. It's all we have we have great respect for, for Alabama. And then he gets in there, we're gonna beat him in recruiting. We're gonna beat him on the field. Rosen, what fuck you? Yeah! Epic Ed Orgeron chest beating. <laughs> and I think he deserved it. You know what? He earned it. He earned his chance to talk that talk that noise. He absolutely did. And I also we gotta give LSU credit here for not shrinking in the second half. You knew Alabama was going to find some sort of counterpunch, and they did, but LSU stayed aggressive with the play calling in the second half. You know, the only problem I would say, I, I realize I just said that, and LSU should have gone for that fourth down in Alabama territory, and I think that allowed Alabama to get back in the game. But every time Alabama cut the lead to one possession in the fourth quarter, LSU had an answer, and you're right. That 18-yard run by Joe Burrow on that keep there on third and two, that sealed the game. And, you know, epic coverage bust to get Alabama back within a possession, but at that point, I, I think the game was over. No, you're right. And you know what? You're right about the call. I thought, it, I thought actually Orgeron made the right move to punt on that fourth and one because I thought Alabama's offense was struggling badly enough that you make them go 95 yards, but then they did go 95 yards, and that did turn around the game. So that was their chance, but... Bama could not get a stop when they needed to have a stop. That was the thing. No, and also, too, speaking of short yardage, when was the last time you didn't trust the Alabama offense in a short-yarded situation? Right, yeah, no, that's, uh, like, almost unheard of, although last year in the in the Clemson game uh, was, was the other time. But, yeah, offensive lines had some major struggles for a while for them. Najee Harris, as good as he was, had a couple of short-yardage runs where he danced a little bit. They went with the goofy wildcat thing at one point. That didn't work. But yeah, here's the thing from an Alabama standpoint. I wrote about this. We'll, we'll get to their playoff viability in a minute. But they've played two top five opponents, you know, the last two times they have played them. Clemson at the end of last year, LSU this time. They got run both times. They collapsed at certain points of the second quarter in both games. They gave up just a flurry of big plays. They made big mistakes. They did not look like a Nick Saban, classic Nick Saban team. And I don't know what the deal is other than whether they've just played too easy a schedule at various times or what. But against commensurate talent, whoa, they, they've been exposed to a degree. 90 points over 1,000 yards against those two teams allowed. 
what did you think just looking at the, the Saban defense and some of the, the problems there, Nick? You know, that's what I was thinking of during this game is going back and thinking, okay, the three best teams Alabama has played over the last two seasons, this LSU team, Clemson, and Oklahoma in the playoff. Kyler Murray didn't play great in that playoff game. Oklahoma still put up 34 points, and he still threw for over 300 yards. I mean, we are seeing when Alabama plays a top-10 team or someone in their stratosphere with a good passing offense, you can torch this Alabama defense. And we haven't seen that in years and years and years. I don't know. Last year, you could have said, well, the Alabama secondary is young. This year, they brought a lot of people back, and we're still seeing the same issues. Is it something that you know, he hasn't adjusted to? Are we finally seeing the defensive staff turn over year after year after year catch up to Alabama when it comes to playing teams with equal or better talent? But it's just wild that we're seeing Alabama against these explosive passing offenses not be able to get the stops when it needs to. It's absolutely true. And the, the, that, that's the funny thing about it is it always used to be, you know, how are you possibly going to move the ball against Alabama? How are you going to protect your quarterback? You know, how are you going to establish a running game? And now it's the opposite is can Alabama stop you? You know, if you've, if you've got a good attack, I mean, and these are elite attacks, right? I mean, like Joe Burrow could be a first round, the, the number one pick this year. Trevor Lawrence could be the number one pick in 2021. Kyle, Kyler Murray was the number one pick in 2019. So, I mean, those are good players, but Alabama used to kill good players. You know, they, they, they are, they are not what they used to be. And whether it's style of play that is compromised defense or, as you, you mentioned, the, the staff turnover, eventually that kind of thing you would think catches up to you. The secondary, as you said, they, boy, they have been outmanned. They just haven't made plays at all. So it, it was wild watching Alabama go to zone in the second half and Burrow finding guys wide open. I mean, defenders were yeah. not within two or three yards, wide open in the middle of the zone for first downs. Right. Several times. I mean, like uncovered or just or very loosely covered to a degree. So that was that was pretty wild. So now, OK, the 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 takeaway question is, is Alabama a playoff team at this point? The resume, they haven't played a very good schedule at all. Uh, non-conference, nobody in the Sagarin top 50 in conference. Their crossover opponents are Tennessee. Sorry, Sully and South Carolina, who are not good within the West. They, they beat Texas A&M, who's okay. They've now lost pretty handily at home to LSU. The only thing they got left is Auburn. If you look at it, Nick, you look at the, the landscape, do you have Alabama in or out right now, and can they get in? I think Alabama is out right now. That being said, I'm not going to sit there and gasp on Tuesday if somehow they only fell to number four with the rationale the committee uses of Tua was not healthy, LSU may be the best team in the country, and it was only a five-point game. Because when you look at this, I think I think the number four team in the country on Tuesday is going to be Georgia. It's the Georgia team that lost at home to South Carolina, but was just outside the playoff a number six a week ago because of the strength of those wins over Notre Dame and Florida. So, okay, is Georgia your number four team? I, I don't know who number four is right now. I think that's the great question. We know that it's going to be Ohio State, LSU, Clemson in some order, because of how everybody is stuck together here at this eight and one gap between about four and nine, I still think Alabama is going to have a shot. That said, they need help because 11 and one without an SEC West title may not get it done if you've got four one loss conference champions. Yeah, no, that's the thing is we're going to, I very well could be heading to another one of what I consider a very tired argument of, well, 
conference champion has to matter, you know, which to me is stupid because if the two best teams in the conference are in the same conference, who cares? So I, I, I don't like making championships part of this equation, but they have. And people love to talk about that and love to harp on that. The thing, the part of not being a conference champion for Alabama that could be deleterious is not getting a chance at another quality game. You know, right. not being able to play Georgia and beating a Georgia. But, yeah, I think it's I think it's really difficult if you look between Bama, Georgia, Oklahoma, which was very lucky to win, Oregon, Utah, Minnesota, Baylor. Here come those two teams undefeated. I would almost be tempted to move Minnesota up to number four. Now, they hadn't played anybody until Penn State, but they housed Penn State. They'd been, I mean, it ended up being relatively close, but they controlled that game much the way LSU controlled the game in Tuscaloosa. I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on let's let's talk a little Minnesota here, Nick. Uh, what about that game and what you saw there? You know, we saw LSU. We talked complimented LSU on being aggressive in the second half. The game was close against the Indian Lions because Penn or because Minnesota got conservative in the second half. You've got a quarterback in Tanner Morgan was 18 of 20 throwing the football for over 300 yards. You've got two. I would stack up Rashad Bateman and Tyler Johnson against most top two receivers in the country. I think Alabama is a separate group, so is LSU, but I would put those two guys at the top of the list, especially in the Big Ten. And fantastic passing attack. Minnesota, they didn't shrink. P.J. Flex said they weren't going to shrink. They did not do it. And I think Minnesota's probably going to look at number 10, number 9 right now, but this sets up beautifully if you are Minnesota because you still have Iowa. You still have Wisconsin. Iowa hung with Wisconsin on Saturday. There's still enough good teams on the schedule that if you keep winning and you set yourself up for a matchup with Ohio State in a Big Ten championship game, that an undefeated Minnesota is going to be in that top four neighborhood by the time December rolls around. Like if they get there, if if they are 12-0 and Ohio State is 12-0, the loser of that game could be the fourth team, you know, depending on how – it, unless it's 59 to nothing, you know, but. Um, right. We have a repeat of what we had a few years ago in the Big Ten. Yeah. And, you know, I'll also say this is the nightmare scenario for Alabama is the dream scenario here for the SEC and that you have an undefeated LSU team going into the SEC championship game, playing a one loss Georgia team that wins a close game. You have to look at LSU and Georgia being two of the best teams in the country probably both being in the final four, that's going to leave out Alabama for sure, no matter if they're 11 and one or what. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, Alabama now is the biggest LSU fans outside of Baton Rouge. They are, they, they need, they need LSU to win out and take out Georgia. If that comes down to it, you know, I am, I'm intrigued by the two leagues that have the chance at a second team in there, SEC and big 10 and what they end up having on the table come conference championship time. The, the Minnesota thing is remarkable. I've been all over the map with them. I loved them preseason. I picked them to win the West. I picked them to be 8-0. Uh, but then I watched them play the first week, three weeks of the year, and they were awful. I mean, they were they barely were- beat South Dakota, barely beat Fresno, barely beat uh, whoever their other non-conference game was. And and so I was like, ah, they're not that good. And then they just keep progressively getting better and better. They have been super impressive. So what do you think? Can, can they get to 12-0? and Boy, I don't know. I th- The Iowa game scares me next week. I you know, I thought I thought this was setting up for Minnesota to potentially finish nine and three, beat Northwestern because Northwestern is beyond their Rutgers level dumpster fire at this <laughs> point. But 
you know, losing to Penn State, losing at Iowa, losing to Wisconsin, those are three excusable losses. Right now, I, I think 10 and 2 is definitely still in play, probably 11 and 1. But, you know, if you're Minnesota, all you got to do, if you can somehow split Wisconsin and Iowa, take care of business like you should at Northwestern, you're in the Big Ten title game. I think it's an 11 and 1 Minnesota team yeah. against Ohio State. That's probably true. I'm trying to figure out who's going to. I mean, Wisconsin, I think, would be the team that beats them. You're right that the, there's a the, the chance for a letdown at Iowa is huge. And Iowa, it seems like every year they have one big win at home. Yes. So, you know, the possibilities are there. But I got to give P.J. Fleck credit, man, rowing that boat. There's a, there's a lot of hokum with his deal, but the players love it. It's working. They're winning games. I mean, the scene, the the pictures I saw of the field storming afterwards, that's pretty awesome. That doesn't happen often at Minnesota. You know? Well, it's, it's we're looking at a literally a once-in-a-century event here. First time yeah. the Gophers have been 9-0 since 1904. And also, to this Iowa game, they beat the Hawkeyes on the road. They clinched the West because everybody else right. will have two or more losses. So this is it's theirs for the taking with a win this week. But like I said, the I bet we're going to see a line probably only maybe three or four points in each direction when it comes down to it on this week. The hats off to uh, to Minnesota certainly for having the, the the landmark win there. And those are the two the two big games, obviously Tuscaloosa and in Minneapolis. But we we've got to make mention of our dear friend Chad Morris and the Arkansas Razorbacks. <laughs> oh my goodness. And Sunday morning, Arkansas fired Chad Morris less than two years into his tenure at the school with a record of 4-18 and and a 17-game losing streak. Historically bad is a nice way of putting the Morris tenure at Arkansas. Nobody in the history of college football has lost to San Jose State and Western Kentucky in the same season. At home, no less. Of course, nobody in history probably has lost to North Texas and Colorado State in the same season, which he did last year. So Chad Morris is making all kinds of history. But if you're down 35 to 7 at halftime to Western Kentucky at home, your team has quit, hasn't it? Yes. Okay. I mean, and, you're, and, you, and you're also, too, we're going through the scenarios here of Brett Bielema two years ago to lead to Chad Morris's hiring was literally fired as soon as that Missouri game was over at the end of the season. Is the dude coming out for the second half or not? You know? Right. You look at Western Kentucky. Got to give some credit to quarterback Ty Story. 213 passing yards, one touchdown, 77 rushing yards, two touchdowns on the ground. Graduate transfer from Arkansas to Western Kentucky after Chad Morris brought in two quarterbacks like Ben Hicks and Nick Starkle. Guess what? Neither Ben <laughs> Hicks nor Nick Starkle played against the Hilltoppers. Three guys threw passes for Arkansas. None of them named Starkle or Hicks. Story goes out, gets a blowout win. That is... What's worse than having egg in your face, Chad Morris? Because I think that's what this feels like right now. That's an entire huevos rancheros in the face, man. That that is that's a disaster. That's like you, your personal roster management. Because Chad Morris is an offensive guy, he's a quarterback guy, supposedly, allegedly, and that's that. So that was entirely his making. You know, we don't need Ty Story because we're bringing in these other guys, and then Ty Story kicks your tail. Can we say that the only reason Chad Morris did not get fired during Saturday's disaster is because he played a quarterback by the name of John Stephen Jones? <laughs> he has a grandfather. He has a gr- very rich grandfather who could easily um, pay for whatever Arkansas wanted. So just, just saying, JSJ may get some more playing time down the road here. You know, I, I mean, far be it from me to suggest that there will be anything like that going on. But 
you know. <laughs> I, it's overreaction. It's overreaction Monday. I'm allowed to go crazy with conspiracy theories, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Hey, that oh, that reminds me too. Wetzel's conspiracy theory that he he threw out that I kind of like while we were sitting at his tent and he was getting drunk was the Gary Danielson comment last week about Tua saying saying he saw practice and Tua was not 100%. And look, I mean, we know when the TV guys go to practice, they never, ever before the game say anything about what they saw. They'll say maybe during the no. broadcast or maybe after, but they never give up the state secrets of what they saw. And all of a sudden, Gary Danielson, who is, you know, Mr. SEC in the pocket, comes out with that. Wetzel's theory is it was a setup so that they can get it out there. Hey, two is not 100%. So if we lose, if we lose, we need a little slack on that. What do you think of that? I thought that was, fa- you know, I saw that Friday morning and I went, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I wondered, is this gamesmanship? Or again, was this a, hey, we don't mind if we if you share a little bit of this information because we never find out. Like you said, we never find out until they say we met with the coach Friday night and he, this is what he told us and we're halfway through the game. We've already seen what's in front of yeah. us. So, yeah, you know, and Gary Danielson during that game, I'm sure you didn't hear much of the commentary because you were there. Yeah, none. He was a... He was aghast at how poorly Alabama was playing. There was, really? it, you could feel the pain in his voice <laughs> uh, at how poorly Alabama was playing. So, you know, I also I also have another conspiracy that we need to uh, address. Um, you clearly didn't see much of the um, or hear much of the Ohio State Maryland game. Good God, no. Buckeye 70. No, Buckeye 73, Maryland 14. Nobody really needed to watch that. The final score mm-hmm. tells the story during the game, as it was a blowout, Joel Klatt and Gus Johnson started talking about the Chase Young suspension. And Joel Klatt says, Ohio State timeout. They had all three of them left, and they will absolutely get the ball back here. Ryan Day pouring it on a little bit here. Gus says, it looks personal. Klatt, yeah, this is interesting, partner, with what's going on this week. Gus says, remember, Chase Young is from that Washington, D.C. area. Said he borrowed money from a family friend. Who would know about that? (laughs) Clack, this seems interesting. 42-0, taking the timeouts. If they stop them here, they get the ball back. Wow. Okay, yeah, no. that a very good conspiracy theory there. Because everybody's been wondering who dropped the dime, you know? And I'm I'm not saying it was Maryland, but he's from Maryland's backyard. They know all the players there. Mike Loxley is as wired to that Delmarva area as anybody. You know, that. <laughs> if, if I, I will tell you this. If Gus Johnson, Joel Klatt threw that out there, somebody put that in their heads in the pre-production meeting. Somebody like maybe, oh, Ryan Day or somebody else at Ohio State, you know? Totally. But And here's what I'm trying to figure out. If we're going to buy the theory that Maryland did this, what benefit is this for Maryland? You're still going to get your ass kicked <laughs> by Ohio State with or without Chase Young. <laughs> And they did. Yes, exactly. We saw it. So maybe it's only 56 to 14 and not 73 to 14. You know, if what's what is the benefit for Maryland if we're going to believe this conspiracy theory into tattling on Chase Young? Uh, you know, I'm going to wager that the if there, you know, if the, if the theory is correct and this is what happened, that, that this is turf battle for future recruits in that area, you know, and hey, we're watching. We know what's going on. We know who may be connected to players there and everything, and we're, we got our eyes open. I, I, I could be wrong, well, but. It, it backfired so spectacular that Maryland had one kid decommit at halftime. Huh? On Seriously? Twitter. Yes. 
so Big Ten expansion continues to win. Oh, it's it's fantastic, Maryland. You are you're doing so well yeah, right now. That's it. By the way, Maryland destroyed Rutgers. Ohio State destroyed Maryland. Ohio State plays Rutgers this next week. It's going to be a hundred to nothing. A hundred. What what is what are we looking at? Do you think it's going to be forty nine points for the line? Oh boy, um, maybe more. Could it be more? Could you go like fifty four? Fifty two. Can we have can we have a power five team against a conference opponent favored by more than fifty on the road? <laughs> um, sure. Why not? Because I mean, that's the thing. Now. I have to I have to defend Northwestern's spindly honor where you said they are Rutgers level dumpster fire. Nobody is Rutgers level dumpster fire. Nobody. No. So uh, entering the Purdue game Saturday, Northwestern had no touchdowns and seven turnovers, I believe, on its last forty-four possessions. Yes. I mean that's that's close to Rutgers level. <laughs> it is, but they ain't giving up fifty a game or whatever Rutgers is giving up. You know, so this is true. Rutgers is scoring more, but it's also giving up a lot yeah. more. Yeah, and then yeah, Northwestern did find a way to lose that game after I think leading almost all of it, but uh, they did, and the Purdue freshmen keep scoring. You know, uh, that that's going to be a feisty team in two years if everybody can stay healthy. It is, and I, I will say. I did get that for my lock of the week. We do have to bring up the picks briefly because, again, for once, I, I had a semi-decent week. I was three and three. Famel, I think, was three and three. But let's talk about Wetzel. One and five for Dan Wetzel with his picks. Convenient that he's not around on this uh, overreaction Monday. Hiding. He's shrinking from you, he Pat. Is... He's, he's just said, I'm done. My lead is going away, so I'm just going to stop thinking about yep, it. Yep. So, Dan Wetzel. Drunk in the Tuscaloosa jail and owner of some terrible picks this last week. All right, Nick, how about the Big 12? Ridiculous Saturday of games there. Oklahoma with a, boy, near-death experience that would have torpedoed their whole season. May have torpedoed, probably torpedoed Jalen Hurts' Heisman chances. Iowa State scores, goes for the two, and the win doesn't get it. Ball hits receiver in the belly for the win, and he can't bring it in. Texas and... Texas has needed last-second field goals to beat the entire state of Kansas, both Kansas and Kansas State. That league is bonkers. Baylor, triple overtime win to stay undefeated. What's your take on the Big 12 at this point? The Big 12 was about two plays from having the entire season go up in a massive explosion on Saturday. Oh, my goodness. Baylor and TCU, 9-9 at the end of regulation. Baylor should have quite frankly lost that game. They got to the TCU 22 late. A bunch of penalties pushed them back, forcing John Mayers, not that John Mayers, that freshman kicker with a career long of 38 to make a 51-yard field goal to send the game into overtime. Also, Gary Patterson gets a lot of love here. I'm sorry, Gary Patterson. I realized Max Duggan was not throwing the football well at all during the uh, regulation on Saturday, hence why the game was 9-9. TCU got the ball with about 35 seconds left and all three timeouts with the game tied and Patterson sat on the ball and took it to overtime. Boy, you're at home. Yeah. Come on, go for the win. You know, what's what's the worst that can happen? You end up losing anyway. That's very 1980s thinking. It, it very much so. And then TCU fantastic individual plays in overtime. The game was terrible. Overtime was awesome. <laughs> and you know, Baylor escapes. They have 9 and 0 with 5 wins now by eight points or fewer. I mean, this is a team that is living right. And now we may find out that they're going to stop living right here next week against Oklahoma. But you're right, Jalen Hurts, that interception to set up Iowa's potential game-winning touchdown was probably the worst pass you're going to see him throw all season long. Roll into his right, 
instead of throwing the ball away simply, it's third down, just punt it, force Iowa State back, throws it down the sideline to, I don't even know what receiver he saw there, right into an Iowa State defender's arms, and then the Cyclones score. And I, I like what Matt Campbell did. You're on the road, you're playing a team tough that you beat two years ago at the same location. Go for two in the win and do it again. Yeah, no, I I, I would not second guess the, uh, the decision at all. Um, in that situation, you always go for the win. It's funny. We were talking, though, trying to think of the last time it worked. I, I brought up Boise in the Fiesta Bowl in 2007. Surely it has since then, but uh, there's been a lot of teams It seems like try it and not make it happen. We know North Carolina tried it against uh, Clemson this year, but I don't think Oklahoma's that good. I mean, this, this to me was a major, major warning sign for them. You, you lose at Kansas State. You have to make a furious rally to even have a chance to get back into that one. You lose that one. You have a week off to stew in it and simmer it. You're playing at home against an Iowa State team that's been pretty disappointing this year. And you get up and you let them back in it. It was 42-41, and they score 20 straight points on you and have a chance to win and probably should have if the guy catches the two-point pass. What are we to make of Oklahoma? Uh, You know, I'm with you. This is what I think – you're looking at an Oklahoma team that if you play Baylor next week, beat them. You're probably playing Baylor again in the Big 12 title game. With what we've seen so far, 12-1 Oklahoma, to me, does not look as impressive as a 12-1 Pac-12 champion. You know, I, I will take Oregon or Utah if one of them wins the Pac-12 at 12-1. Because you're right, this game was 42-21 after Oklahoma went 97 yards on to make it a three-possession game. Iowa State comes back with a nice drive of their own for a touchdown. Two plays, fumble for Oklahoma. Iowa then Iowa State turns it over on downs. Oklahoma punts. Iowa State touchdown. Jalen Hurts interception. Another Iowa State touchdown. Iowa's Oklahoma. The high-powered Oklahoma offense got shut out 20 to nothing in the fourth quarter against Iowa State last on Saturday night. It's absolutely there's something wrong with this team. What we saw with Alex Grinch's defense in the first half of the season, something has changed. I realize they're really thin in the secondary with a lot of injuries, but still the defense is, is going back to the stoops level that we saw in 2018 and previous. Yeah, they're reverting defensively, no doubt about it. I think, you know, they some scheme changes, maybe some personnel changes wallpapered over some some weaknesses there, but they're, they've, they've come forth. And the other thing, I mean, I will look, their non-conference schedule was weak. Right. It was a bad Houston team, South Dakota and a bad UCLA team. Uh, You know, UCLA has come back a little bit. But at that point in the season, they were awful. So I just don't see a lot of meat on their bones when it comes to a a playoff resume. Now, you go win at Baylor, uh, that that will certainly make you look better. But for now, I am I am not like enamored with Oklahoma as a playoff team. But here's the thing. We know that Baylor is living right. If Oklahoma goes and beats Baylor by 25, does that say more about Oklahoma or does that say more about Baylor being the team that we didn't think that they were? Good question, because, yeah, that's I mean, look, Baylor is I I give Matt Rule a ton of credit and it's an amazing story. But uh, that feels like a lot of smoke and mirrors. Uh, And eventually the mirror gets busted. The smoke blows away and we see a team that's really not that great. But it hasn't happened yet. No, we, we had Charlie Brewer in regulation in that game was averaging about four yards of passing attempt. And this was not the first this is not the first time that Baylor's passing offense has struggled. You can't do that against Oklahoma. You know, you can't survive on turnovers and hope that the other team's offense is inept. I mean, that's just not going to work against Oklahoma. You gotta 
they're going to figure out a way to put up 35 to 40 points. Yeah, it's a bad life plan. That's not not, not going to work for long time success. We've uh, we've gone this far without windbag Wetzel and plain panicking Pete. So we are going to finish up with our usual staples end of the show here, Nick. Hello, record book. Hello, small sample Heisman. How about that? Looking at the action Saturday, who won the Heisman Trophy? I am going to take small sample size way too literally here and going to go with USC quarterback Keaton Slovis. 297 yards and four touchdowns in the first quarter. In the first quarter? In the first quarter. And I'm only talking about the first quarter here because the rest of the game, he did not throw a touchdown and only threw for 135 yards in the following three quarters. So we're just Keaton Slovis' first quarter against Arizona State on Saturday. <laughs> that is that is very good. Uh, that's a very literal interpretation of this, and I like it. I like it. That is a small sample. He won. He was the one-quarter Heisman winner. So, well, that does uh, – thank you for taking that tack because it leaves open the obvious choice for me. He's not the small sample Heisman winner. He's the large sample Heisman winner. He's the Heisman winner, Joe Burrow. Watched him play, and he was just magnificent, total command of the game. Basically nothing wrong in an incredibly, you know, charged atmosphere. 31 of 39 for 393 yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions. He ran for another 60 yards, was big in that area as well. His his, uh, season efficiency rating right now is 202.52, which would break the NCAA record set last year by Tua if he can maintain it. So Joe Burrow. Small sample, large sample, all samples. You are my Heisman winner. Okay, Nick, as usual, we have said many uncomplimentary things about many teams, many people. Let's try to say something nice. Let's be pleasant. Say something nice, Nick. I'm going to say something nice about the Charlotte 49ers. 21 unanswered points in the second half to beat UTEP 28-21. Charlotte, the baby of the FBS is now 5-5 five and five this season, games against Marshall and one win Old Dominion to get to six wins and a possible bowl berth. Will Healy has got things going on in Charlotte. Yeah, good for Will Healy. He's a nice guy. Um, you know, he, some people thought he was a bit of a reach for that job. He'd been at uh, the FCS level at Austin P, but he had one where, I mean, like where nobody was doing anything at Austin P. So uh, I, I, I'm, I'm with you there, giving credit to uh, to him and to Charlotte. Good for them. Well done. I am going to go with my say something nice to uh, the Minnesota Gophers, just because I love the scene there. This is what college sports does where, you know, somebody that that a program that has experienced very little excitement for a long time, all of a sudden they, they catch that magic. They get lightning in a bottle and the scene on the field afterwards where where the entire student body is on the field and all the fans and she said first time 9-0 since 1904 first time undefeated this long into a season since 1941 trying to win the Big Ten for the first time since I believe 1961 this was their biggest home game since 61 which they lost to Purdue so an unbelievable scene there you know you want every school at some point in time to have that have that Saturday was finally Minnesota's time so We'll say something nice about the Gophers. And uh, that's a wrap for the show today. A little bit uh, of turmoil with Wetzel on the lamb and with Thamel rushing off to the airport. But Nick Bromberg, thank you very much for sitting in. Everybody, thanks for listening. Give us a nice review. We'll be back, hopefully, with the full podcast lineup later this week. We'll talk to you all later. See ya.
one, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. <laughs> AutoTrader.